Hey guys, and welcome to this episode of the Canely Crew Podcast. I'm your host, Chesley White. And I'm Marina Register. Yeah, so how's it going today? Pretty good. Good Monday. What'd you do this past weekend? Okay, actually, my friend came in from Augusta. Nice. She traveled to India with me back when we went for work, and so she just wanted to to go to all my favorite spots in Greenville. Oh my gosh, so you basically got to do everything you love here. Yes. But, with someone else. And, but at the same time, I was like, this is kind of like a normal weekend for me because I, I just do the things I love to do. But I will say I took her to the bake room for morning buns. Nice. Because they're my favorite thing. And then we also went to Gianna for... Um, oh, that's one of my favorite restaurants. I had oysters and I had this chicken piccata that was amazing. But then we went to a new place that my friend had suggested that I never tried. It's up in Traveler's Rest. And you do tastings of olive oils and balsamics. And so the lady there, Charlotte, she's the best. Like, shout out to Crescent Olive because yeah. they were the most fun thing we did this okay, weekend. cool. And you take bread and you can, like, try all these different flavors. And then she gives you ice cream to try her dark balsamics because they have, like, raspberry flavored and tangerine flavored. And what, that was actually good? It's amazing. Wow, okay. Like, truly amazing. I bought way too much stuff. Um, but yeah, it was super fun. I've never thought about just tasting the salt vinegar. I never would have either, but it really changed the game. And I just realized that when I said all my favorite places, it was just all food. <laughs> of course. Like, I'm not surprised at all by that. <laughs> But that's great. That's awesome. Super fun. Well, cool. Um, well, we have an exciting episode today. Yes. Um, I was so excited for us to have Shelby on because she just seems like the coolest person. That's right. So and she, she is the coolest we are, person. We were, talking, we were talking to Shelby Dodson, with, uh, first vice president with CBRE today. And man, like it was just such a like impactful episode, I think, to know where like what she sees in the Greenville real estate market, where we're going, trends. Um, that that Greenville's experiencing, um, and uh, just also some personal finance knowledge too that I thought was amazing. I mean, we are doing the same thing. She's right. she's like step twenty, right. I'm step ten, but you know, life goals. Yes, so, for sure. So yeah. I think she gave us some good insight into her life and how she thinks about things, but also some really good trends in Greenville real estate, which is yeah, it was really, really interesting to, so. to hear for sure. So anyway, I hope you guys enjoy this episode, and let's bring her in. We'd like to welcome Shelby Dotson here to our show today. She is the first vice president at CBRE. So welcome, Shelby. Thanks for coming. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. How are you doing today? So far, so good. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. So you're a commercial real estate broker with CBRE. Um, obviously, you've been doing this for a while. I'm eager to hear your background and your story, how you got started doing this in the first place. So start us off at the beginning. How did you sure, get into the, the industry? Well, so I've been I've been with CBRE for 11 years now. Um, I went to Clemson for undergraduate school, and then I quickly went back for graduate school uh, to get my master's in real estate development. And I graduated in 2010, which was pretty much the bottom of the market <laughs> with a degree, yeah. a master's in real estate development when nothing's being built. So um, that was a little bit of a challenging time. I just come off of an, uh, a, an internship in Shanghai doing some underwriting for um, the World Expo. So that was that was an interesting experience, but I was anxious to get back to the, the US and got a job with CBRE in Greenville, South Carolina. Um, they had never had a a female broker really before. Really? Um, That's interesting. That had, you, you know, really been able to gain substantial ground in the market. Mm -hmm. So they were anxious to to get a female broker in and kind of 
train them up. Um, and it became a really good opportunity. And candidly, I always wanted to be in a bigger market. I had worked in other larger cities in the past and did not want to be in Greenville, South Carolina, but figured I could just get CBRE on my resume and then maybe transfer to a bigger office. Yeah. And 11 years later, I'm still in uh, the Greenville office um, with CBRE and I, I mean, I wouldn't have it any other way. Uh, but with the development background, I sort of just ended up in brokerage because there wasn't a lot to do in the development arena at the time that I graduated. So, so now that I've been in brokerage for a while and development has had the opportunity to come back, that is kind of a, a side passion project and uh, something that I like to be involved in kind of separately from brokerage, which is um, some redevelopment of, of historic or brownfield sites. Uh, which is something that I sort of always had a passion for, but fell into with some people that I've met through the brokerage industry and actually some connections through through crew as well. So it's been, it's been great. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. I know that we got to go out and see Plush Mills and that was such a huge project and so interesting. Is there anything, like was that also something you kind of fell into? Because it seems like you had such a huge hand in Plush Mills as well. Um, well, so that was the first development I worked on with Mark Peters, with uh, M. Peters Group, and he was looking for a project, and I was just obsessed with that building, and I drag him out there, and we're standing in it, and there's, you know, people just trespassing and living in it, and not the safest part of town at the time, and just telling him just wide-eyed. If I could just buy or invest in anything, it would be this building. And I think most people would have just like run out of there and thought it was nuts. Mark was like, "All right, let's do it. Do you want to awesome. do you want to work on it together?" And I was like, "Oh my gosh, yes! I'm so excited." And so that was uh, really kind of the first one that ended up uh, snowballing into several others and becoming kind of a larger project too. And so. Now, Mark and I are also working on the redevelopment of uh, the historic Newry Mill okay. in uh, Clemson. So that'll be 198 units, apartment units, with a cafe, uh, kind of grocery, general store, and there's a, a U.S. post office there as well with some, some trails, and we're excited about that project too. That Exciting. And what about on the same property as the plush mills? Are you still working on that project? Yes, and you know that that has a kind of a lot of avenues in which we're kind of considering right now. Um, there's it's obviously a great site for for medical. We've looked at some medical uses. The, there's a office building planned, which is a little bit unique uh, in that accepting kind of folks that want to invest and have some ownership, but also tenancy to kind of get that one off the ground. And right now, it's been a real focus in the city to get a grocery store on the West End. Mm -hmm. And so we're also talking to uh, some of the smaller grocers about um, taking a retail site oh, wow, there, cool. which yeah. Yeah, living right there, I can tell you, I mean, it's truly a food desert and it's yeah. a major, major need right there. That's awesome. So how did you develop your partnership with Mark? Like, what did that look like as you got going and like dividing responsibilities and what it looked like? I mean, it's, it's still kind of a fluid process. Okay. Um, just kind of based on, you know, evaluating goals and 
time frames and you know, he's built a bigger team now and he's doing a lot of stuff that I'm that I'm not involved in and that's just based on you know kind of sheer time and and interests and also I mean he has a lot of um, experience in other in other areas and interest in other areas and he's he has um, several family members that have moved back to, to Greenville that are kind of helping on some projects. And he's doing a lot of um, low-income housing okay. uh, projects and just some other uh, HUD projects in different areas. And so it's just sort of case by case on what we want to work on together and how we want to divide it up and and kind of move forward with that that process. Gotcha. So. It's, it's fluid, and you know, I have other business partners too through CBRE and um, enjoy working on stuff with them too and other friends. I mean, yeah. When you've been in commercial real estate for a while and especially through crew, you know, you end up with a base of yeah. people and exposure to different projects that you either want to invest in sure. or it always just seems um, kind of interesting how you get involved in different stuff. Yeah, I love that. Um, go ahead. Sorry, I was just going to say it sounds like each day for you is probably like a little bit different depending on which project you're working on or what you're doing if it's developing or more broker. But what does like a day in the life of Shelby look like? Okay. Uh, so I still probably spend the majority of my time um, brokering uh, and predominantly office leasing, which has been hugely interesting uh, through COVID and then after COVID. And I'm sure we'll, we'll talk more about that. Yeah. Um, Right now, my days are just crazy busy. Um, summer is actually usually really, really slow. Typically in brokerage, for office decisions to be made, you have to have the majority of the C-suite like in town and engaged, mm -hmm. which means things just don't happen in the summer or Thanksgiving or Christmas. Usually these are our very slow times of the year. Um, it's you know, hugely different from residential where people are working nights and weekends. It's like if the CFO and the CEO are in the office, like nothing's going to happen. So this summer is different because people waited all of 2020 to do everything and pretty much the first half of 2021 to do anything. So this summer is just crazy busy with people trying to make up for lost time and make some real estate decisions. And so my normal day seems like some combination of responding to RFPs, um, and going on site tours, meeting with tenants about their space needs and kind of their, their goals, and also really helping tenants in this changing kind of real estate environment evaluate what are their needs today and forecast what are their needs going to be? Yeah. What do employees expect out of their office environments now? And what, what sort of flexibility can employers offer while still kind of maintaining their brand and just the, the accountability and management and level of collaboration while offering some amount of flexibility? Uh, and you know, what should their office space look like? Um, you know, what should, on the landlord side, what does janitorial look like now? Um, you know, if you have closer workstations, what is your parking allocations look like? Are people all in the office at the same time? Or can you maybe seat 100 people but only need 70 parking spaces? So it's kind of, um, yeah, it's very fluid right now. Yeah. What are you seeing? I mean, are decisions being made about those items right now? Yeah, so it's interesting. So in Greenville, we 
our, our office environment's made up of a lot more small companies. I mean, we still have the Fortune 500s, but we also have a lot of smaller regional um, groups and local companies, startups, those sorts of things. And the smaller the companies, the faster it seems like they've gotten back to the office, the, the quicker they were really willing to acknowledge this working from home thing on a long-term basis is not working for for our bottom line. And mm-hmm. um, so those companies, they've come back. And in Greenville, we're already starting to see our vacancy deplete at a very quick, quick rate, mm-hmm. especially in those, you know, under 10,000 square foot ranges. The, the larger companies, uh, they have, they're still struggling, I think, on the liability side on how quickly they can bring people back and how um, how that needs to look to, to reopening and how to how to handle um, all of the HR demands while also um, being productive. And if they're service providers providing that same level of service when the people aren't in the office. And so the larger groups are struggling to come back and compete with some of the smaller groups that have come back and are really almost back to what I would say was normal. I mean, right, right. I remember having the conversations last year of, are we ever going to shake hands again? And it's yeah. like full on hugging again. I mean, it's <laughs> like, it just seems like it's just, it just flipped. And maybe that's because we're in the South. Maybe it's, it's cause I we're think in it's a smaller town. The South for sure. it's, it, it's some of both, but it, it is surprising to me how quickly it flipped back in Greenville. But when we talked to our Charlotte and our oh, Atlanta sure. counterparts, um, the some of the larger CBRE offices in the Northeast, it's they haven't quite flipped that bit, that quickly, mm-hmm. um, and there's still a lot of outstanding vacancy just because the larger groups aren't making the big decisions yet. They're pushing till end of summer mm-hmm. to really go back, yep. and so they're expecting that um, to kind of flip back to a degree in September. Which is interesting that like Greenville's kind of leading the market on having less vacancy. Yeah, yeah. I guess um, the smaller businesses and being in the South, it just it just seemed to go back faster. Yeah. But the bigger companies in Greenville still aren't oh, aren't sure. back. So I, I had clients that they never left. <laughs> like right, I would call right, them, yeah. I'm like, hey, we're remote, and they're like, well, we're not. Okay, well, I will be. So. <laughs> right. Yeah. You are you are part of a larger company, so that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, for sure. So what are you seeing in terms of price, given that our supply is being eaten up? I mean, is it starting to get more expensive? Is it about the same? Yeah. Or? Well, So that's interesting. So we have two things happening. Uh, so we still have a fair amount of larger vacancies, but I do think that those are going to get absorbed. And it was interesting just to watch the demographic shift of kind of all of those trends we already saw that were happening, of people moving to the Sun Belt, of people moving to maybe smaller cities, uh, more boutique cities, they all got accelerated. So now our demographics are are here too. And so we have um, we have a larger population, we have more demand for, you know, retail, for jobs here. And so the the larger companies are starting to, to follow and the site selectors are starting to recognize that and they are used to paying uh, higher rates or even purchasing more expensive homes. We've seen our home values get driven up yeah, from kind sure. of that, that migration pattern. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we've also started to see the construction pricing 
um, really push on rates too. And so with not just the vacancy, but the cost of construction, the cost of land, the cost of labor, all getting pushed up, we're seeing, you know, part of it, it maybe it's becoming a larger city, part of it's maybe inflation, but um, rates are definitely, definitely going up and interest rates are going up as well. So with all of those things combined, um, you can't build new product anywhere close to what the old product uh, yeah. is renting for. And so there is a demand for class A space, higher quality space for that recruit uh, recruit employees and to be able to have a better retention rate of other employees. But the drive to class A product and the gap where the A minus and B product is, is still too large. So we are going to see rates creep up. Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah, I've been really curious about that. Um, seeing that on the construction side, prices elevating and you know, I wonder what's the breaking point? Are we going to have a little bit of a drawback or a slowdown to reconcile some of that? Because can people still continue to afford to build at those elevated rates um, and make money? So, uh, yeah. So, I mean, it becomes a demand threshold too, but it, 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 de it doesn't mean that people are going to work from home, especially when you look at office space, yeah. because the labor is the most important and expensive portion of that. Right. And so if office ticks up, that doesn't mean, all right, well, we're just going to work from home. That Maybe they lease a little bit less space, but that doesn't get rid of the need. From an apartment standpoint, you know, maybe more folks start to consider moving to the suburbs versus paying downtown rents, and you start to see that, that shift. But you're still going to need housing units. You're still going to need office space. It's It just might shift people that previously insisted on being in the CBD, maybe they start to consider some suburban office. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, but the need for it is not going to go away. Yeah. So people might just have to consider more cost-effective solutions. Right. Which makes sense. Yeah, it's so interesting. Greenville's growing up. <laughs> yeah, we are. <laughs> Which is a good thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, back to Shelby, as you are in this market, what do you feel like are the most challenging parts of your job um, and what are the most rewarding? Okay, so um, the most challenging part of the job, it's it's juggling a lot um, with, you know, clients, what they need and also just, we always joke in our office, the number of calls that we get where somebody says, you know, I would really just like to find, you know, a nice downtown building with parking, you know, not too expensive that is fairly move-in ready for, you know, and that I really want the mortgage to be, you know, less than what we're paying now in rent in the suburbs. So super like, easy. Well, it's super easy. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's, yeah, just let me jump on that requirement right, right. now, right? Um, so just aligning what people want with what's actually out there mm -hmm. and kind of moderating expectations because uh, it's often in education. Sometimes you always, we feel like therapists, people get really upset when <laughs> they just, yeah, and the gap between expectations of tenants and buyers and landlords and sellers right now seem just bigger than ever because mm -hmm. with COVID, you know, tenants and buyers, they feel like they should get a deal. Like, what do you mean? I mean, this, there's still a level of uncertainty, like, 
who wants to own an office building right now? Can't you find me a deal? And the, the landlords are like, this is a moment in time. Like we are not, you know, giving up concessions or mm-hmm. rates. And, and so just getting those, the meeting of the minds between those groups mm-hmm. just seems more challenging than ever. Um, what I find rewarding is when you do actually, you know, you're, you're able to provide, you know, quality consultation to these clients and that they appreciate it. And you do end up getting them in a place that they're very, very happy and, you know, are able to help them through the process in a way that they they appreciate and recognize the value that you're, you're able to add. Uh, and then on the development side, I mean, there's just nothing more rewarding than saving some of these old buildings that would otherwise just, oh, yeah. you know, crumble to the ground and kind of... Mm-hmm cobbling that history back together and, you know, sharing it with, right. with, with folks and making it so much more tangible and revitalizing the community. I mean, Newry is a perfect example of that, like what it is now compared to what it will be. Yeah. You guys are finished. yeah. I mean that right now, everyone's really upset about the construction and the traffic and the noise and the dust and, um, you know, this kind of the, the tough part with the community. But I, I mm-hmm. think that in the end, they'll be so excited with the with the end result, uh, and so proud of you know the the, the roots of our Greenville community and the, the mm-hmm. textile yeah. uh, history, and just bringing that to the the forefront and really just you know honoring it. I think it's really cool. Yeah, so. well, it seems like you have like really good vision for what you see for either a project or for a part of town that you would like to see, and I think that's really admirable. So. Fun to see. Yeah. So <laughs> thank you. Thinking about your career so far with CBRE, have there been any unique like growth opportunities that had come up that you're like, mm, I don't know about that, or maybe you're questioning going in a certain direction, but it ended up working out amazingly, or you know, just are different than what you thought. Yeah. So I get early on, I thought I wanted to be an industrial broker, um, which. Uh, I obviously ended up in the office sector and wouldn't change that for, for the world. But um, that was kind of where I thought the Greenville market was really going to be more focused, just being between Atlanta mm-hmm. and Charlotte mm-hmm. and so close to, um, you know, the, the ports and having the inland port. Um, and that would have been a, a great path too. And Greenville very much has such a strong, you know, manufacturing and logistics space, but um, the office has really held its own as well. And and those projects really do lend themselves to, you know, the mixed use and the transformative kind of urban downtown. Uh, And so I I enjoy that very much being, you know, more focused downtown uh, in the central business district and, or in the, you know, the close by outerlying suburbs. So it's been fun. Well, do you have a mentor or mentors and, you know, what did that relationship start like? What kind of questions do you or did you ask them? What does mentor relationships look like for you? Yeah, uh, so I, I have several. I think I'm fortunate to say that I really do have several. I mean, I consider Mark a mentor, you know, we're partners mm-hmm. and uh, he would tell you we're equals, but that's, um, I mean, he definitely, I've learned so much from him. Uh, and then in graduate school, one of my professors, um, Bogue Wallen, really became uh, a mentor as well. And they were never like formalized mentor relationships. They were just people that I always felt like I could 
call with questions mm -hmm. and that would, you know, spend the extra time when we had, you know, projects we were working on something to, to explain something and, and also like offered um, potential opportunities for, for me to learn and, and grow. I remember one particular project um, that I, I put in front of Bogue and he did end up buying it and redeveloping it. And he let me sit in on the weekly meetings uh, with the with the contractor and, you know, the, the subs that were the ones that were really the project was focused on at that particular moment in the project. And that was just so valuable to be able to kind of learn the development process from start mm -hmm. to end by going to his weekly site meetings. Um, so th those were, I, I say, I would say, are some of the more valuable experience I've had from the mentorship. And in general, I would say now, just a lot of my peers, like, it's it's not the typical mentor-mentee relationship. It's all just, you know, you get together and you learn from each other and they might have this experience in this field and I might have this experience in this field, but we're always just, you know, bouncing ideas off of each other and learning from one another. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. So within the CBRE's office, I, I guess, even though you guys may compete for listings, I'm sure there's different office teams. You guys are still kind of like open and collaborating and things like that. Oh, ab absolutely. It, I, I've heard from other CBRE offices that it can be a bit more um, cutthroat and maybe some of the larger, bigger cities, but our office has always been, you know, respectful and you know, we collaborate and that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, it's too small of a market mm -hmm. and too small of an office to not, you know, work well with one another. Yeah. And it's really valuable too. Like when, you know, you've got a, like another teammate or, you know, someone else within the office and they've had a different experience and, you know, being able to like talk about that and get advice and things yeah. like that. So that's, that's great. And we're fortunate that, um, our, uh, managing director at our office also manages the Columbia and Charlotte office. So oh, wow. when we go to kind of pool resources or, or, or seek kind of best in class practices or just get feedback on a transaction, you know, we can reach out to those offices and then always just use the network to reach out to, you know, bigger markets too. So when we're trying to figure out what's the next thing coming, what's the next big office trend, uh, it's really helpful to have kind of the larger national pool. And do you see that typically when those trends come, do you see them going through the bigger cities first before they hit here or is it just Typically, yeah. Okay. Yeah, typically we do see the larger markets um, embrace certain trends before, before we do. Like in office space, it's become much more amenity-based, almost like multifamily, mm -hmm. um, you know, having the shared conference rooms or gyms and outdoor space, outdoor space is a huge trend even before COVID. And then especially with COVID to have dedicated outdoor space for, for employees. Um, and then also to have more of like a concierge service, uh, rather than, you know, the typical, just maybe like lobby security, you have, um, you know, a service that you can, you know, have your groceries dropped off, your dry cleaning picked up, your car valet picked oh, up, brought to cool. you. Like those are definitely more service-oriented trends that we're seeing in the larger cities that are just starting to kind of make their way to Greenville. So it's like the idea of like work-life integration rather mm -hmm. than the work-life balance mm -hmm. idea, which I, I do feel that's coming. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's awesome. I mean, 
mean, I personally would welcome that. Sounds great. <laughs> I guess I could get my, my groceries dropped yeah. off at work. <laughs> so are you advising your clients, like, what you're seeing in terms of trends? Like, your landlord clients, maybe, and, you know, maybe you guys should think about doing this kind of thing? Or do, do they generally already know about it? Yeah. Well, so in some of the, you know, it tends to hit the Class A CBD market first sure, because yeah. those are the groups that are willing to pay up for these sorts of mm -hmm. amenities uh, and these these services because, you know, it also depends on, you know, you might have a, a law firm and a CBD willing to pay for it, but the call center in the suburbs, it's just not as applicable. Yep. So as we start to push rates and as we start to look at building new buildings in the CBD, what's the next, next best thing? Like, what are you going to offer that the older buildings have not offered. And, and yes, in addition to cool, nice, you know, technology-laden space, it's going to be very service-oriented and um, amenity-heavy that's going to attract the, the leasing. And the new building in Greenville Camperdown, I would say, has done a good job of um, offering, you know, things that the Greenville market hasn't necessarily seen before. Yeah, for sure. And in terms of that development, do you know if it's leased up so yeah. people respond to it? 100% fully leased, yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Very cool. Well, um, touching a little bit back on COVID, um, how have you seen resiliency play out in, in the commercial real estate industry during that time? Um, and then to piggyback on top of that, the million-dollar question is, are people leasing more space or less space, or is it to be seen right now? yeah. So Greenville was voted like one of the most resilient cities. So I would definitely say that we've bounced back very, very quickly. Uh, there was a survey done during COVID that was really interesting. And it was, you know, they asked a bunch of companies, how much space do you see yourself needing in the future? And it was like significantly less, about the same, more. And it was like 80% of companies that answered like significantly less. Really? And then they went back and they resurveyed and asked those same questions uh, at Q1 of this year. And the majority of folks said about the same. The number of folks that were in the, you know, significantly less category had dropped from like 80 to like 15%. Mm -hmm. I, uh, so some folks I do think need less space and they're going to work on that flexibility where working from home all the time is probably not going to happen, but working from home, you know, maybe a couple days a week or something like that would be an option. But technology is super important with that. So in our office, you know, we have, you know, say 15 hardwall offices and maybe 20 workstations. And so of the 18 brokers and you come in and you pick where you want to work and you have that flexibility. Mm -hmm. and, and of course, you know, we have other divisions, you know, property management and, and it, it works because we can come in anywhere with our laptops. Everybody has the same laptop. You plug it into a workstation and then you immediately have all your screens, everything works seam seamlessly. You can access, yeah. you know, the cloud server and, and everything like that. You know, it's all the same keyboards. It, it works very functionally. We all have lockers. We all have our personal dedicated filing cabinets, but it's a massive shift. It's mm -hmm. not just a lease less space and it works. It becomes a major investment in technology and training and kind of rebranding. And so I think there will be some of that. 
and overall, you know, maybe we'd only need 90% of the office space previously with people leasing a little bit less space, except for the fact of the amount of migration we've seen here. Yeah, and when you true. take that into account, I think we're going to need more office space than we previously had, even though some groups might be might be leasing less. Overall, we have more demand because we have a larger labor pool now mm -hmm. with the amount of people that have, have yeah. moved here. And I think most companies have accepted that, and it's not one size fits all. Some groups, the more technology, less collaborative type offices, like they might be able to have a larger base of people working from home more often versus, you know, people that are more collaborative or sales oriented that require more training or something like that need mm -hmm. to physically be in the office. Right. And so I think now more than ever, you're going to see just more consulting with these folks mm -hmm. and really drilling into their business and deciding what's right for them. Uh, but I do think after this COVID era, employees are going to demand a little bit more flexibility than they've had in the past. Oh, sure. And how often do you work from home versus like being in an office or being on a project? Yeah, so that's a question. Before COVID, like, I would pretty much go in the office every day. If I was um, if I was in town, I was going to show up to the office. Um, now, I would say that, you know, I communicate with my partners because I, I've we value that collaboration. Mm -hmm. So if, you know, one or two or, or if we're going to be in the office, then it's like, great, well, let's show up and then we can all, you know, get together with summer schedules. If people aren't in the office, then if the people I want to collaborate with aren't there, then I might as well just work from home. So CBRE kind of struggled with that initially because a lot of people view that like, yeah, I see the value in collaboration, but if I show up to an empty office and nobody's working there, mm -hmm. then where's the value? I'm just going to work from home. Right. So there's some sort of point where you got to get that scale of everybody back in the office for people to see the value in the collaboration and how do you force it? Can you force it? What does that look like legally? Yeah. Yeah, and sure. so for, for me, I would say I'm back in the office maybe 70% of the time. And that's just a function of kind of uh, coordinating with my colleagues and saying, hey, are you going to be there? Can mm -hmm. you catch up? And it is much more valuable to work in the office if other folks are there. But if my two partners are on vacation, then I might just work from home. Yeah. Makes I feel sense. like it's it's like um, being intentional now. It's not like, yeah. oh, I just know that I go into the office every day. It's like, okay, well, I have these choices. Let me make the right choice right. for today, which could be working from home and it could be going to the, into the office. It's just yeah. about like... It takes a little bit of extra, like, thought, I guess. Yeah, in some we ways. have options, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But it's nice to have that choice, too, at the same time. Yes, like, I would agree. <laughs> right, yeah. and, and I think that goes to empowering your employees right. to give them that, that choice right. Right. Mm -hmm. and respecting them to, you know, manage their time and their resources efficiently. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so one more follow-up question about um, CBRE's office. How are people being receptive to that? Like with the hoteling kind of spaces, like coming in and yeah. taking, are they liking it? I mean, that's a big, you it's know, a yes big or change no. mm -hmm. to go to what we call as Office 360. And overall, we we absolutely love it. You know, anytime cool. anytime something's new, it takes a little while for people to adapt. But we were coming out of a very dated office space, and we went into just this very cool techie space yeah. and they've spent a lot of 
time and energy on the on the technology, getting that like white noise just right. <laughs> um, and we have really cool event space where we can like entertain and have clients. And that kind of goes back mm-hmm. to some of the amenities. Sure. We have a great, great rooftop. Uh, and they're doing a lot for the, the culture in it too, to bring people out into what they call the, the, the heart, which is kind of the center of the space where you know, everybody hangs out and has lunch and they provide like healthy snacks and drinks and like all of that, which, you know, you automatically think to the cost of it, but overall, you know, you have all your employees actually like hanging out and collaborating mm-hmm. and and not leaving the office for 30 minutes to go get a snack. Well, back so, to your point, getting them there in the first place. Right, you know? right. So they've done a lot of little things, I think, just to facilitate people enjoying the space and collaborating and that's been just hugely hugely effective and so yes I would still like my dedicated office where I don't have to pack up all my things or put them in the locker at the end of the day Mm -hmm. um it's it has forced me to be a little bit more organized which is a good thing yeah (laughs) um but if you just if I had to choose a bucket right I think what they've given us is well worth the the trade-off so I'm pleased to have given up my my private dedicated office for everything that they're offering us now. And at any given time, like there's always an office open. We, we thought that there was going to be like a mad rush. People were going to like come in and grab all yeah, the dedicated yeah. offices. And um, then whoever came in last would just end up with a workstation. It's actually not like that at all. People, really? People kind of have their favorite workstations, and then they just grab an office when they need one. I have I have yet to walk into that space, and if I wanted an office, one not be available. That's so interesting. Which is nice. Yeah. yeah. Very cool. Because we're headed towards that soon. Once they start having people come back, and I think August first is our like, hey, yeah, <laughs> it's going to be that time. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it'll be interesting to see once we can start getting more people in. Because right now, truly, it's like if the partners aren't there, there's no reason for me to be there because none of my staff are there, none of my seniors are there. Right. So right. trying to figure out how I can collaborate with my teams and have them excited about coming in is just an interesting, you know, yeah, kind of dilemma to have. Well, I will say that everyone's threshold also for just um, fun has sort of like decreased. So they can do like very little and we're like, that was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> this is so fun. Thanks, yeah. guys. Like they just they started like pushing around a bar cart every other Thursday with like snacks and drinks at like 3.30. And we're that all sounds just, pretty awesome. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it, it, we're super excited about yeah. it. Um, but even just, you know. Everybody tell us what Chick-fil-A milkshake you want. We're going to go get, you know, just yeah. like little stuff. Little stuff. Like, this that... is great. You get so excited because you're like, well, I didn't have this at home. Although I yeah. did DoorDash. We had DoorDash Pass for all of COVID. Like, really? Like we were home home. That's a nice benefit. It was a nice benefit. But I still had to pay the extra and the tip. So, uh, well, <laughs> so when I'm back in the office, they can bring me a Chick-fil-A milkshake. <laughs> That's really cool. petition for that. That's really cool. Thank you for the idea. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Um, so what's in store for you next? Like when you look out over the next year, five years, 10 years, as uncertain as we know it will be, do you have any plans for, for yourself? So my goal has always been like from the time that I sort of figured out this commercial real estate thing, which isn't really, you know, that difficult of a thing. Like I always thought of it as like riding a roller coaster. You have to be like this high to ride the ride. Like you have to be like this 
this smart to kind of yeah. figure out. It's yeah. not it's not rocket science, right? It's just um, you know underwriting returns and you know repeatable sort of sort of knowledge bases. So my goal was always to create the income stream that I could live off of. Um, with the goal of being able to retire at 40. Not to say that I would, not to say mm-hmm. that I, I am going to like quit doing it, but that's, that was always the goal was to be able to, to own enough sort of investment assets that I was able to do whatever it is that I wanted at 40. And so that, that's been the goal. And, um, you know, I enjoy what I do so much that I don't know that I would change it. Uh, but initially it was, you know, buy something every year. So just, you know, early on, you know, it might have just been like a $50,000 two-bedroom, one-bath house that I could rent. And then eventually they turned into much larger things. Um, but the goal was to be able to have the income stream to retire on if I wanted to or or just, you know, see how long it took me to actually get bored on the beach. Like, yeah. I would yeah. like the novelty to, to know how For long sure. it takes me to say, all right, <laughs> right. I need to get a job. Oh, right? for sure. And, and this is what I want to do. So is that like, so your your first plan upon retiring, whenever that <laughs> may be, is like, okay, it's time to head to the beach and see how long it takes. <laughs> yeah. to yeah. forward. How many days in a row are you going to surf? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Surf 300 days out of the year. And that right. would be That would be amazing. But at the same time, you know, you don't ever want to, if you pull back completely, it's tough to get mm-hmm. back, back in. So I do yeah. want to be able to maintain... I, I, some level of connection in the commercial real estate world and with my partners and working in commercial real estate at CBRE and then also on development projects. But I, I want to be able to have the choice to pull back some on the, just the amount of hours and have more flexibility, which is something that COVID did afford all of us, is mm-hmm. the ability to work a little bit more remotely. So maybe, you know, split some time and, you know, work nine months out of the year in Greenville and work three months out of the year in Costa Rica or somewhere mm-hmm. else, something like that. So yeah. the, the goal would be to have the income stream so I, have, I feel like I have the choice yeah. and then maybe test it out a little bit. How are you on the goal, the goal right now? How are you tracking? Um, I, I, think I'm, I think I'm tracking. You know, it's, it's hard to say with, the, with so many big projects mm-hmm. uh, in the works. And then it's hard to stop, right? It's hard not to put <laughs> another big project in the pipeline mm-hmm. that then anchors you for, I mean, some of these t- things take like three, four, five years by the time you get like a CO. So I think that if I quit putting massive projects in the pipeline <laughs> uh, in two years, then I think that I, I think it's feasible. So let me ask you a personal question. Well, this is, yeah, personal question. <laughs> okay. Um, I mean, we're, we think very similarly in terms of passive um, income streams and stuff like that. I've been more focused on single family up to this point. You started that way and now you've gone commercially. When you switched, when you sold all your single family or your, your small multis and then now you're doing these bigger projects, did you see like a delay in that income stream or was it? Yes. Okay. Yeah. That's, yeah, yeah that's absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, because so the commercial projects take a lot longer, um, and the 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 single family homes it's very easy. You sure. buy one, you put a renter in it, like it pretty much cash flows immediately. Um, but then if you want to take all of that cash out, 
So if you bought an existing multifamily complex, there wouldn't be a delay. Sure. But if you take your cash out that's working today for you on a day-to-day basis and you start ground-up construction with it, yeah, you get a couple years <laughs> of, of gap. But I guess you're looking at those projections and you're like, okay, three years from now, it's going to be well worth well that worth conversion. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and so I, I still... I still have the brokerage job that keeps sure. me day to day. Like the development income was always, the goal was pushed out to, you know, when I was 40 for that to be kind of paying the bills. So the, that makes sense. So right now, yeah, I mean, I'm not living off of my investment assets. Yeah. I'm living off my brokerage income. Yeah. So to take those, you know, single family homes and, trade my short-term income for a long-term goal made sense for me at that time. Yep, I get it. That makes complete sense. Yeah, very interesting. But you could still, you know, bundle them, sell them. Super popular right now. Yeah. There's so much demand for (laughs) single-family assets. And then 1031 into something commercial that was existing that was maybe triple net, less management intensive. Because what I found was one was great, even five were great. But as you started to get more and more and more, that one headache a month turned into like five headaches a day and then distracted you from your real job, at mm-hmm. least for me. Well, you were managing your own, right? Yeah, I was. Yeah. I was, which... You almost have to because of yeah, the Yeah, it cuts into your return. Yeah, yeah. you can pay, pay out 10% and your return was 15%. Then yeah, yeah, I know. kind of hurts. Mm-hmm. So... Right, retire yeah. before I know. you get a new pole for me. <laughs> I need to get started on buying a property. Yeah, we could talk later. I've got lots of thoughts on that. Um, so so last question on this, um, and then we'll move on. But the, the commercial stuff, are you um, the monthly cash flow versus the long-term appreciation when you sell? Like, are you underwriting your deals for cash flow, or are you just, like, basically like, okay, it's going to sell in five or ten years at this cap rate, and I'm going to make this amount of money? And uh, yeah. I guess so what's more important? That's a great question. And so I, I recently um, got engaged to an investment yeah, broker. Yeah, congrats. Thank you. And so we think about things entirely differently. Uh, so I always just look at the cash flow like I am never going to sell it. And you know what? I have actually never sold anything of mine. Yeah. Ever. I get that. I've only bought real estate. I've never actually, for, for, for myself. Um, Rob, my fiance, however, I mean, he's looking at everything at like a cap rate, you know, roll into the next deal sort of thing. And so. And when you actually finance one of these things, the only thing that matters is how does the bank you're financing it with or your equity or whatever it is, how do they look at it and how's your debt structured? But for me, it's the income stream. I I don't want to ever be depleting a a savings account, right? You don't know how long you're going to live. You don't don't know how to budget on that. Whereas if I know I have a passive income stream of $300,000 a year or something like that, like that's really it's easy and measurable and known and that's comfortable for me. Yeah. So that's always been my goal. Well, it relates directly to your goal. Cause right. you're, you're like, how much can I step back? Okay. Now I like I'm getting this much a month. That makes sense. That correlation. Yes, yeah. exactly. You know, and, you know, your rents increase with inflation, you know, you just hold on to them. But then Rob would, you know, sometimes challenge me on the, well, but yeah, but you can sell it for this, roll it into this and, you know, leverage it and then have this. And it does, it does work like that whole yeah. invest, reinvest, 
you know, I don't know what will happen to the 1031 model going forward, but historically that's worked really well for people too. It's not, it's not my model. It's just not as um, comfortable and measurable mm -hmm. for me, but that's because I don't understand it as well. It's not what I do day to day. And so we'll probably have a combination of both because Rob does the cap rate investment side and I do the never sell anything sort of yeah, sort of model. Yeah, that'll be interesting to see what happens. <laughs> but hey, it's best of both worlds. So, best of both worlds. Yeah. It's a little really bit of both. Yeah. So it's also interesting to see like what your comfort zone is versus like what my comfort mm -hmm. zone would be for like buying property. It's none right now. Right. <laughs> you know, yeah. so you're like, hey, I have all these properties, but like it's safe for me to like keep them. And I'm like, that's not even safe for me. So understanding like where people's different like risk levels lie. Well, you start off because small. of like what right. you understand. You start and, like, off small. Yeah. You slowly push <laughs> your comfort zone at, like out. step twenty, you know, know. and you're like yes. step one. So they're just different thought processes right. and stuff that you've got to start to understand, and you you learn by doing. At least I yes. do. Yeah. So you know, for you sure. do one, and then oh wow, look at how much gener uh, income I'm generating every month. Let right. me go do another one of these. And, yeah. You don't jump in at step twenty. Right. <laughs> you definitely like. You do one, and you're like, oh, well, that worked pretty well. I could do another one. And then you make a little bit of a mistake somewhere, mm -hmm. but it's not a massive, like, you know. It doesn't. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't, like, totally undo everything that you've done for yourself. You might have, like, a $5,000 setback, right? Right, right. And then, you know, you figure it out, and then you end up making more, and the, you know, because of it. And it gets there eventually. Right. Yeah, I think it's what I, I said on a different episode, like the comfort zone, just you have to just slowly push it out further and further. Right. You like take yeah. a step outside of it and then you're like, okay, take another step. And eventually your comfort zone is much bigger than it was yeah. five, ten years ago. Yeah, but mine still has strong limitations. <laughs> yeah. I respect and Rob, yeah. Rob and I okay. constantly go back and forth on a lot of those things. But you're probably making him think more about the income stream and the passive side of it too, or maybe he's not as focused we, we on do. that. We so. do. We start, we start flopping in some ways. It's yeah. kind of, it's interesting. Yeah, Definitely awesome. accept each other's influence on that sort of thing. That's awesome. Well, back to real estate real quick, and then we'll wrap this up, um, or I guess the commercial real estate side of it instead of the per personal side of it. But um, <laughs> what advice would you give to someone looking to get into this field? Like what's been important for you that you would tell them, hey, absolutely do this or don't do that or you know, anything like that? Yeah, um, I would say find good people not so focused on what it is precisely that you want to do. Like, I'm glad that I wasn't so focused on being an industrial broker that I let the office yeah. opportunity pass by because it's very much um, the people that are willing to kind of teach you and mentor you and uh, help you through that process. But also say, if there's somewhere that you want to live, go live there because once you learn a real estate market, um, it's tough to move. Mm -hmm. So feeling like, well, I'll just get started here, and then one day I'm going to move to to Charleston, New York, or whatever it is. Uh, I would go ahead and move there, and and then cause it, it takes a lot of work to learn a market, know a market, and meet all of those players. To start over is just so tough. Yeah, wow. um, I echo that entirely. I've thought many times about moving to different places. I like change and I like big cities and things like that. But it's for that very reason. I'm just like, I can't imagine starting over. Yeah, it'd be I mean, so tough. Yeah. So I, I did it backwards. I was like, well, I'll, I'll work for CBRE and then move somewhere else. And it was like, yeah, I'm never. You're as here. long as I'm in commercial <laughs> real estate, like I'm not learning another 
another market. Yeah, that's true. Maybe you can just purchase vacation homes or et cetera, wherever else. Yeah, probably. I'm, I'm sure. There. I'm sure I'll end up Costa Rica, right? <laughs> probably so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, cool. Well, this has been awesome. Um, let's, I guess, get into the uh, rapid fire. Rapid fire question. All right. What do you like to do for fun? What do I like to do for fun? Um, you guys probably both already know this, but um, I like to surf. I like to travel um, wherever I can. And like the the more random, remote, the better. Um, spent a lot of time in Costa Rica, Nicaragua, Panama, but some of the more fun ones have been, you know, Fiji or the Marshall Islands. Um, but that's that's my passion. I've surfed since I was maybe like 10 years old and still try and get to the to the ocean as often as possible, preferably the Pacific. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. so cool. Well, um, this kind of goes along with that. What's your favorite place to travel? Yeah, Costa Rica is yeah. just, it's so easy. It's fast. It's consistent surf. It's, it's a blue zone, which means people live on average much longer. It's just such a healthy, you know, lifestyle. Um, and, you know, the food's great. The people are great. Um, working on the Spanish, but yeah, Costa Rica would be the That's pick. That's cool. I've never been there. Let me add it to the list. Yeah. It sounds pretty it's awesome. It's been added to my list for sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, favorite podcast? Oh, I, gosh, I feel like such a one-trick pony, but I'm going to go with Surf Simply, which is based in Nosara, which is an awesome like surf school that Rob and I love to go to, but they have a podcast that just drills into like the physics of surfing and you know, the trends and the latest and greatest, you know, board design and just so many different things. And I find it very, very interesting. That is interesting. Sounds like you're nerdy about surfing. Yeah, nerdy in general. (laughs) (laughs) What is your favorite TV show that you're binge-watching right now? Oh, gosh. So I have binge-watched a lot of TV uh, lately, but... um, I'm a little late to the game on Homeland, but I'm finally oh, on so like nice. season seven of Homeland, <laughs> yeah. which was a major investment in COVID to start Homeland to begin with. Mm-hmm. But yeah. that's been how many seasons are there out of that? There now? are eight. Okay, I quit at some point. Um, I won't say what happened after I quit, like just <laughs> not to give it away, just in case it hasn't happened yet for you. But um, man, it, yeah, it was a really good show. There's um, another one on Netflix called I think it's uh, Sweet Tooth. Y'all, no. I've was, seen a preview for it, and it's on my list. Oh, it's it's really good. It's there's only one season out of it. Okay, but. isn't it the one there's like a little kid with a deer face on it on the front yeah, cover? It's like, it's like post-apocalyptic, and like uh, babies start being born as animals. It almost has like a COVID. There's like a pandemic. I think the writers must have written it during yes. uh, COVID. <laughs> I, I but saw that. Yeah. I, I like all kind of the escapism, fantastical yeah. sort of science fiction type shows. Those are also my favorites. Have you seen The Americans along the same line of Homeland? It's a little different, but you you would like that one too. too. It's like a Russian spy. Um, Our two Russian spies come to America and they're implanted into like um, an American family environment. I have watched the first episode of that one. Yeah, we got hooked on that one. It's really good. My favorite thing is that the two main characters, they got married. Yeah, well, they were forced to get married. Well, no, no, but, like, the actors got married in real in life. In real life? Yes. Oh, I didn't know that. Yes. Cool. That's my favorite part is when yeah. people fall in love. Interesting. Uh, yeah. In real life. Interesting. True All Blood. Right. That happened on True Blood, too. Really? Yeah. Yes. Exactly. It's always fun. <laughs> Until they break up and then you're sad. You're like, <laughs> yeah. But, um, okay, the most important question for us yes. is, what is your favorite restaurant in Greenville or the upstate, and what do you get there? Oh, yes, great question. 
So Urban Wren is my my favorite yes, restaurant. Um, they change their menu very often. So I love their paper bag salad, mm-hmm. um, and I like their cauliflower dumplings. Oh yeah, right. and um, any sort of their like any any sort of like pork dish that they have is always amazing. Okay, I have been to Urban Wren, but I think I need to go back. It's about time for me. Oh, yeah. I have a good brunch too. Oh, I love brunch. Yeah, awesome. Well, well cool. Well, thank you so much um, for coming in and spending time with us today and telling us your yeah. story. I mean, it's been awesome to talk to you and get to learn a little bit more. Um, so just really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me.